0: Have you ever been moved by spirit? Would you make major decisions based on a gut feeling or guided by your dreams? Would you be brave enough to take over the family mantle or business legacy when that legacy is rooted in a spirit practice that has equally been revered, feared and derided by many? I'm Michelle. Welcome back to Caribbean Folklore and Mysteries making of an Obia woman. Lizzie stood in the gully on the outskirts of her family's rural home with her mother and aunts, where they took great care to strategically sprinkle the cremated remains of her grandfather around the macaw palms. They then dug a shallow hole under some cure for all bush and there, they laid the last of the ashes. This was the third such ritual they had done following her granddad's thanksgiving or going home ceremony. His ashes had been meticulously divided with each of his children getting a small vial. The remainder were scattered at the location of his very first business, a rum shop located in Bank Hall, his home in Strathclyde, then finally, The last of his remains were brought to the place of his birth and divided between the garden of his childhood home and the gully which he spent many youthful days exploring. Actually, Papa Nizar, a nickname many used for Lizzie's grandfather, never lost his connection to Coffee Gully. It was only when his mobility became restricted in the months before his passing that the customary quarterly visits stopped Before that, Lizzie distinctly remembered her granddad, always taking a day off, heading to the country, returning either to Bank Hall or Strathclyde in the wee hours of daybreak the following morning, looking a bit more sprightly, usually in possession of new plants, seedlings, pieces of bark, along with one stone. She never understood the stone. The group made their way back to the garden. Her aunt Lucinda was the current resident of this home. It had been passed to her years ago. And like everyone of that generation, she curated the landscape to ensure certain shrubs and trees were located in unique formation across the cardinal points of north-south, east-west. The perimeter always populated with what locally was called shamebush. As they sat under the shade of the mango tree, Lizzie reflected on the the women of her mother's generation. They were all successful entrepreneurs, but very modest and humble. Lizzie recalled the wide range of businesses they opened that somehow flourished just via word of mouth. She remembered when her mother started her candle and oil business, which was a good few years before such things were trendy. Yet, even though her mother did not have any major contracts with large commercial retailers, or within the hospitality sector, from the humble beginnings in the basement cellar of Grandad's Strathclyde home, business was always steady. Many of society's who's who's residents of the West Coast, along with the partners or siblings of local politicians, were her early customers. Some came regularly, others were seasonal. But every election year, there was always, always a massive increase in demand. Weeks passed. Lizzie really enjoyed being home. Helping start her grandfather's estate was proven cathartic, giving her many flashbacks to childhood memories she had forgotten. Discussions with her granddad of her vivid dreams, who, in spite of her young age, took her through the steps of interpreting or or understanding them. Recollections that the task of grinding certain herbs obtained from a coffee-gully trip always fell to her, with strict instructions that they be touched by no other hands. During this time, she interacted with many who knew her grandfather, all praising the help he gave them, some of them doing so with a kind of weird, zealous enthusiasm. A select few asking if she would take over his business. Through the resurgence of forgotten moments, combined with the tangible impact her grandfather had on those who knew him, which wasn't just limited to the local community, her granddad had strong links across the region, especially in Trinidad and Guyana, Through it all, she pondered on why, of all of the grandchildren, Grandad always insisted that she had to leave the island, never encouraging her to return. From the age of 18, she packed up, first working as an au pair. When that was over, she got a scholarship to study. Then over the ensuing years, as soon as one chapter of her life closed, a window opened taking her to a new location, new experiences, new people. Almost as though there was a barrier preventing her from coming back home until granddad's death. The last five years were spent working in Ghana, which for her produced the best experience over all the countries and continents she had called home. Ghana provided spiritual development that she wasn't aware she needed. It was also the only country Grandad accepted her offer of a ticket to come visit. Contemplating a relocation back home, Lizzie shared these thoughts with her mother, whose simple response was, If it is to be, you will see the signs. The next seven nights, Lizzie's dreams were very lucid. She awoke the following morning feeling as though her spirit had journeyed to different countries, Sometimes even a different era. The toot of a horn signaled her cousin Ray had arrived. Grabbing her bag, she walked out and jumped into his pickup. Ray was the firstborn of their generation, also the first male in the family lineage following a generation of all girls. They were going to enjoy a midweek lunch along the coast in Martins Bay. However, en route, Ray advised he to be stopping at Newton Plantation. He was currently looking for agricultural land to lease or buy and arranged a viewing of that estate. As Lizzie toured the full extent of the property with her cousin and the realtor, viewing the manager's house, then venturing outside to see the grounds, she started nodding along to a song from a radio somewhere in the vicinity. As she mumbled the words from this mighty Sparrow classic to herself, a line hit her spirit differently. It went, You don't seem to understand. Obia can't upset my plan. For Papa Nizar is my grandfather. Within the ensuing seconds, Lizzie flashed back on major events in her life up to that point. Then flashed forward on what the upcoming years could be. Eyes glazed over, appearing to have lulled into a trance-like state, she was sharply brought back to reality when a lily-white yard fowl noisily flew from the branches of a nearby tree, landing by her feet, clucking, and pecking the ground searching for crumbs of food. Stunned, Lizzie blinked twice, steadied herself. The white fowl paused. cocked its head stared Lizzie dead in her eye. And in that moment, Lizzie knew the mantle had been passed. She would remain in her homeland. Her days of wanderlust travel were no longer needed. She was ready to begin the journey of taking over granddad's legacy. As someone that grew up in the Caribbean Coming up with a definition of obia was a bit difficult because it was just something you knew. So I turned to Mr. Google for a bit of help for my non-Caribbean listeners. And I think this definition comes closest at summing it up. It is defined as a system of spiritual healing and justice-making practices developed among enslaved West Africans in the West Indies. Now, obya is not a religion or religious practice in the vein of Christianity, Hinduism, or even Santeria. Obya, or the practice of obya, is centered more around spiritual tools, rituals, the gift of psychic ability or power of premonitions, to aid the practitioner in achieving certain goals that may range from marriage proposals retribution on a foe, ways of warding off any evil or bad luck, alternatively also attracting prosperity or good luck. The use of specially crafted oils, potions, burning of specific candles, creating poultices or barriers of protection from herbs and plants, along with other practices such as having bush baths, were some of the tools employed by the Obia woman or man to aid their clients in achieving their desired outcomes. During the period of slavery, obia or other indigenous spiritual practices was made illegal by the colonizers. The obia practitioner at this time, which is akin to like a a priest, was more likely to be a man. However, this evolved to include women. An archaeological dig at Newton Plantation in Barbados revealed a mass slave burial site where they concluded that one of the remains was highly likely to be that of an Obio woman or spiritual practitioner. This particular skeletal remain was positioned in a different direction to the others. The head was pointing to the east versus every other body where the head was pointing to the west. Additionally, she had been buried with tools of her trade, That is, potion bottles, oils, etc. Historically, the Obia man or woman was based in the city or its environs. One had to be referred to him or her. You couldn't just go and show up at the door knocking. There were no deliberate marketing or sales techniques to advertise the home of an Obia person. It was a case of, if you knew, you knew and those that did, would discreetly recommend them through word of mouth to family members, friends, or colleagues. Throughout the fifties and sixties, it was not unusual to board the bus heading to town from rural areas with passengers carrying a solitary white or black chicken, a small pig or sheep, in addition to other manner of livestock. These passengers were not heading to market. It was with unspoken knowing that they were headed to their respective obia man or obia woman. Said animal was either part payment for their services or to be used as part of a ritual. Traditionally, public discussions on obia tend to be in a negative or derogatory light, a practice peddled by charlatans or snake oil merchants. Something for the gullible or weak-minded, largely associated with witchcraft or the devil. But, is it really deserving of such a reputation? If not for the Atlantic slave trade, if not for colonizations, would a religion such as Christianity be as widespread as they are? Had history taken a different course, with migration occurring under less traumatic circumstances? would many indigenous spiritual practices have been subject to the degree of demonization that they currently endure? Bit of food for thought there for you. So, we have discussed Obia from the historical viewpoint. But what about today? Can one still be referred to an Obia person in 2021? Hmm. Well, I will say this. It is rumoured that during an election year over many islands in the Caribbean, certain modest homes are inundated with visits from political candidates. Thank you so much for joining me and tuning in once more. Thanks for your support. Please keep sharing this podcast within your social media networks, with friends and family. If you haven't already subscribed or follow, please do so and encourage others to do the same. Remember, you can send your folklore suggestions that you'd like me to explore to folkloremysteries@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time, bye-bye.